Hey everyone, my name is Fatima and welcome to The Other Perspective. So I started this podcast sub-series um, because as a college student and government and politics international relations major, I noticed that most of my professors and my peers were people from similar backgrounds, um, which were very privileged, one-sided backgrounds. And this was even more of an issue because a lot of my classes are based on like international topics like politics of the Middle East or politics of East Asia. And the fact that this uh, field was dominated by people from one perspective made made certain voices that could contribute valuable things and valuable opinions to the field, um, they were missing. And I think this needs to be changed. So <clears throat> I'm starting this sub-series because I want to give you guys the spark you need to take your voices into the academic sphere and change the narrative surrounding politics and international relations on college campuses. So in this episode, I'm just going to be talking about why I'm doing this, why this is important to me, and why we need more voices in um, international relations. And in the coming episodes, I'll be talking about selected topics from international relations. Um, Side note, this is actually my first time making a podcast, recording a podcast, so I actually chose not to use a script because I wanted this to be as authentic as possible and I wanted it to just be me talking about what I think and what I believe and my opinions on things. So bear with me because I'm going to be saying um and so a lot and I hope you guys really enjoy this podcast. Thank you for choosing to listen. So before we really begin to dive deep into what we're talking about in this podcast, um, I do want to bring up a few things that are going on in the Muslim American community right now and this is actually something I do want to incorporate because I am a Muslim American woman and um, so what is happening right now is that Ramadan has just started um, and what Ramadan is is that it's the ninth month in the Islamic calendar and it is considered a holy month and so we fast for 29 to 30 days um, from sunrise to sunset, we don't eat anything. No, not even water. Um, yeah, eat or drink anything. And so we break our fast in sunset, and it's considered a month of worship. So we w- would pray. There's a special prayer called Tarawih, where people go to the mosque, and they pray af- after the night prayers. So like, we all end up returning home at like 11. It's a month of community where people gather in the mosques, and they eat... Um, they break their fast together, and we call that iftar. Um, and what makes this Ramadan so different is the fact that with the COVID-19 crisis that's happening, all the mosques are closed, right? So um, this is going to be probably the first Ramadan in a lot of Muslims' lifetimes where they will be alone, either alone with their spouse or with their families, or for people who are living away from their family, they'll be completely alone. And that makes this Ramadan a bit more difficult for Muslims. Um, But the cool thing that's come out of it is that there's been so many online resources to make this the best Ramadan it can be. And yeah, that's it started on April 24th. And that's one thing I'm like super, super excited about. Um, And after the month of fasting, there is a special holiday called Eid where Muslims will go to Eid prayer like at 8 a.m. or like 7 a.m. like in the morning. Um, and then typically we'll have the whole day be full of festivities. Um, 
Actually, Eid is one thing that is not very recognized by the American public, and there have been campaigns in the near past where people advocated for getting Eid off in schools because a lot of times Muslim students have to choose between their schoolwork and between Eid, but that's another story for another day. Um, I just wanted to give like a brief overview of Ramadan, um, and that's what it is. So, let's get to the exciting part of this podcast, the part that everyone has been waiting for. So what sparked my idea to start this podcast was actually my experience sitting in class one day um, and listening to my professor talk about the Bosnian War, specifically the massacre at Srebrenica. And for those who don't know what the Bosnian War is, is a war that happened from 1992 to 95 in Bosnia and Herzegovina, which is in Yugoslavia. And there were three ethnicities in that population. So there were the Bosniaks, who were the Bosnian Muslims, the Serbs, and the Croatians. And there was a lot of fighting involving the three groups and the Yugoslav army. And NATO was actually involved in that for a while. And there was a final ceasefire in 1995. Um, But in general, what really struck me was hearing her talk about the Srebrenica massacre where the Serbs massacred the Bosniaks. And one thing that I was very kind of shocked, honestly, and a little bit disappointed, was when she was talking about it, she never mentioned that the Bosniaks were Muslims, and they were the victims in that situation. And in a lot of other situations where Muslims may have been the aggressors, it was always mentioned that the person was Muslim. And I'm not talking about the specific professor. I'm talking about, like, in general. Um, Whether it's, like, in the media, on TV, or in academics. um, Little things like that tend to get overlooked. And for me as a Muslim, it felt like a big slap in the face because it makes Muslims seem like the bad guys in all these situations. So that was one thing. And then the other thing was that um, a lot of the theories in political science specifically are very Western-centered, and I think I would say the same for like economics, psychology, um, a lot of other fields, but I can't really speak for those because I don't have um, that kind of experience or because I'm not a student of those like disciplines. Um, so for me, at least, hearing about for example, in my international political relations class, hearing about the UN and the whole setup of the UN and the way like the world is like interconnected um, really makes it seem like a great thing. But when you go and ask the perspectives of people who live in the third world countries that are affected by a lot of major issues like civil war, famine, um, just war in general, like a continuous nonstop war, like the kind that's been going on in Iraq and Afghanistan. Um, and you ask these people what they think of the current world order, they're, they're not going to like it. And that's one thing where I think us as Westerners, and I'm talking about myself as well, we see everything from a completely different lens from people who have suffered through so much. Um, so for me personally, I, when I think of, like, the UN, I'm like, oh my god, this is amazing, they're doing, like, they're giving aid, um, they're sending peacekeeping troops, but the reality on the ground is very different. A lot of times the aid that is given to, like, 
third world governments isn't used for the people who need it most. And it's actually, a lot of times it's actually stolen by the people in the government and they use it for their own profit and not for their people. Um, in terms of peacekeeping, what happened in Rwanda in 1994 is a very good example of how a lot of times peacekeeping is literally just a show. Like it's not actually accomplishing anything or stopping anything from happening. And for those of you who don't know what happened in Rwanda, it was it, Rwanda is an African country, and um, because of the way uh, colonizers split up, like the African continent, um, based on like old colonial centers. Um, a lot of tribes that were traditionally enemies were placed together within the same borders. So in Rwanda, there were two ethnicities. One was called the Hutus and the other was called the Tutsis. And they were like boxed in together and the Tutsis were the minority, right? And they were in the government initially. And what happened was the Hutus got like sick of that. And eventually they were able to take over. And um, what happened was super horrific like really really horrific I do not recommend watching any documentaries about that because I had to do that for my class and it was really depressing um but what happened was that eventually it escalated to the point where Hutu extremists were going around with machetes and like killing people like killing literally everyone they saw in their path and the UN was on the ground there um and they basically did absolutely nothing. Even when the commander told them several times that he needed help on the ground, um, they were just like, don't use any military force. And obviously this is, I'm not saying they should use military force because that could go wrong too. But what I'm saying is that a lot of the times it seems like the UN is trying to work for good when in reality, either the way they do it is ineffective or it's all a show, if that makes sense. And I'll get into that a bit more. Um, but I did want to mention one really cool like story from the inside that I saw in the documentary that I watched about Rwanda. So one story I did want to like uplift was the story of a UN general whose name was Mbai Diag, and I'm pretty sure I'm saying his name wrong, and I apologize. Um, the really thing that I found really cool about this is he was actually a Senegalese military officer and he w- he was serving in Rwanda as part of the UN force and they were very this this is actually one of the things that shocked me about Rwanda when I watched the documentary is the UN said nobody like when they came to rescue the Americans that were in the country basically what ended up happening was that they let the white people out of the country but then like the native Rwandans were kind of stuck in the country including the Tutsis who were going to get murdered. Um, And so the story of uh, this general, he was actually a Senegalese Muslim guy. And what he did was disobey direct orders given to him um, in order to smuggle Rwandans out of the country or put them in like safe spaces where they weren't going to get killed. And I just found this really incredible. Eventually he died um, like because like somehow a bullet like got in his car But just imagine how much difference, like, one person can make being on the ground, even though he he didn't obey orders, which people will say is a bad thing. But I think in this case, it was a good thing. Um, But to speak about what happened in Rwanda with the whole getting the Americans out of the country. So actually, the documentary that I watched as part of my um, assignment for my class was called Ghosts of Rwanda. 
Um, it's a very informational documentary from people who are on the ground, including Red Cross doctors um, and the UN commander who was there who actually tried to get the UN to do something about what was happening. Um, I I want to recommend it because it's super informational, but also it's very, very, very graphic. And for me personally, I had to turn away like several times. Um, but regarding the situation of what happened was when the situation started to get really bad on the ground, um, a president, like former president Bill Clinton, he issued an order for Americans to evacuate from Rwanda. And they were typically taken to nearby African countries like Ghana or um, other countries that were close enough to leave by car. And then they would take like the helicopter, or the airplane back to the United States. Um, but what happened was at the very, very end, when everyone knew that there was going to be a genocide happening, um, a bunch of journalists and UN troops arrived to evacuate basically just the white people in the country. And they were getting in the back of like pickup trucks and the Rwandan people, like the Tutsis who were going to be killed, they were standing, like literally standing, watching them as they leave. And there were like two journalists who gave like a testimony of what happened. And there was a Rwandan mother who kind of like just like literally got down on her knees and started begging, like, please take me, please take my children. We're all going to die. We know we're going to die. And the journalists couldn't do anything about it because they were under strict orders not to evacuate any native Rwandans. And that's what I find like so appalling. The fact that so many people could have been helped, but because the UN chose not to do anything about this, they ended up dying. And thousands of lives that could have been saved were not saved. So when we do talk about these like intergovernmental organizations or like large institutions, it's good to be very critical about what we read because um, a lot of them may seem like an amazing thing. Like for me personally, I find the idea that there is a governing body that can resolve conflicts and all that stuff. I find that to be a good idea. But in reality, a lot of these organizations, they they serve Western interests. And actually, one thing I do recommend reading, um, it's not specifically about the UN, but it's about development. It's called um, The Development Project, which is the third chapter in a book by Philip McMichael. Um, and I really do recommend reading this because he really lays out how all these projects like the, Bre the Bretton Woods institutions, which are the World Bank and the IMF, um, they really were made to serve Western interests. And um, also talking about like the way the world quickly industrialized after World War II. Um, actually, what I found really interesting and what I learned in my development class was how um, agriculture shifted to first world countries and America actually became the largest exporter of agriculture. Meanwhile, in third world countries, um, for example, like Egypt or other countries in that area, what tended to happen was that um, it very quickly industrialized and this was by design and actually manufacturing jobs went up significantly. And this had a very, very, very negative impact on people who are farmers for a living because now Egypt or now whatever third world country is not exporting um, these farmers foods anymore. And there was also a thing called the Green Revolution, which is where agriculture became very commercialized and people began buying from large farms in very large quantities and 
this also displaced a lot of farmers. Um, and so that's why when you go to a lot of third world countries, whether it's in Latin America or the Middle East or North Africa um, or even Asia, a lot of these countries will have very o overcrowded urban areas. And this is because of that phenomenon, which people call urban bias. But anyways, I did kind of digress a lot. <laughs> but to get back to the main point, um, one thing I did find very shocking was... Um, development theory and what I found shocking about that is that it's told from a very uh, western perspective so I think it's because a lot of the scholars who studied development were westerners and this brings me back to the main point of this podcast which I really do think it's very important for people who come from third world countries or people who whose parents came from there and who have the experience and the culture when they go back home quote-unquote home um to bring that experience and that culture into the conversation and to come up with theories that can be widely read by academics um because you really can't understand development theory just from one perspective especially since the people who are really affected by development theory are people who are in the third world so that's another thing and also just please excuse me for using the word third world because i know it is not a very good description you could say underdeveloped countries or developing countries but that's another conversation that i don't want to go into like right now uh, maybe in a future episode um and it also implies like there's an inferiority but yeah that's another thing for another day and so i don't want to talk too long because this is just an introduction to the kinds of things that i'll be talking about on this sub series um yeah but i'm really happy um, that you chose to listen all the way to the end and I hope to bring more interesting takes and perspectives on things in international relations um, and definitely to talk more about development theory and what I think about it. Um, thank you for tuning in today to The Other Perspective and I'll see you on the next episode.